Hi, my name is Rhonda Minga, and I would like to welcome you today to Freedom Ministries in Crossed, Arkansas. I invite you to connect with us online at freedomministriescrossed.com. Now let's take the time to pray before we tune in to today's message. Lord, I lift you up, and I just pray that you draw us by your Spirit. I pray that you show us your Word. You give us great and mighty revelations of who you are and how you want to move in and through us. Lord, be with these people as they tune in now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Woo! Does everybody feel like change is in the air? Yeah. I mean, we're, we're living in a time if something don't change because the church has not done what it's need to do. And the reason our nation is in the shape it's in is because the church is in the shape that it's in. I mean, we want to blame the government, but we can't blame the government. We have to blame the church. The church, and Timothy says, the church is the pillar and the ground of truth. Truth comes from the church. It comes from the Word of God. It doesn't come from schools. It doesn't come from colleges. It doesn't come from the president, the senate, the house. It comes from God. The problem is we've failed to bring the truth from the pulpit, and so now we've got a lukewarm, watered-down, compromised church, which gives us a compromised government and uh we we began to have rulers in the church and we have rulers in the government instead of governors rulers do what's good for them governors do what's good for the people and so uh we see those in our government that seem like they're only interested in doing what's good for them or just destroying our nation i'm not sure which of the two but for to me, making some of the decisions they make, they must be getting paid some money somewhere. So we'll try not to be too political here this morning. But we can see that the, the um, prophets, you know, God doesn't do anything that he don't speak to his prophets first. And so we see the prophets are prophesying. We have, you know, what you'd call national prophets, those that are on TV or Facebook or, or, you know, they travel the nation and speaking, and they're speaking about change, things being made new, new things happening, new things and changing things. Woo. And you wonder, what does that mean? You know, in the church, if we keep doing the same thing we've been doing, we're going to keep getting the same things we've been getting. Comes a time, sometime you have to begin to change, and that's what happens to a lot of denominations along the way, is they're kind of stuck in a rut, and the ship gets so big you can't change the direction of it in any way, and so eventually the the ship keeps sailing, but it gets less effective because uh, the gospel's not, you know, what God does is not meant to be a a, a um, document of regulations by this specific law or how you do things we're supposed to hear now God has some boundaries for us but we're supposed to hear from God we need to have a relationship with God I mean the same song that brought the saints into revival a hundred years ago is probably not the same song today they were getting a fresh word from heaven the same messages preached a hundred years ago probably not the message of today because we need to be hearing what God is saying for today the church changed, you know, if, if you start in the book of Acts from the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, you see 3,000 get saved, baptized, then you see 5,000, then you see in Acts chapter 6, they got a problem. Now they, they say, we need, uh, should, the apostles are saying, should we wait on these tables? We have problems with our widows. Should we take our time away from the word of God? And praying and bringing a word to wait on these tables. They said, we've got a problem. We've got to change some things here. Because up to that point, the apostles were pretty much in charge of everything that was happening. Amen. I don't read about any other. I don't read about pastors. I don't read about prophets. Really don't read much about anything else but apostles up to this time. And so they said, we need to appoint some men. And today, I believe that could be women also. But men is a general term. And so we need to find men full of uh, faith. It's amazing the requirements. You know, today in the church, we want to water down the requirements so everybody's qualified to do everything. 
well, they got a gift. They can sing. So put them, in the, put them up there and let them sing. Although they're committing adultery during the week or whatever, that's okay. No, God gave requirements for us to serve. And if he said, find men full of faith, full of the Holy Ghost, that have character and wisdom just to wait on tables. Not to teach Sunday school. Not to preach from the pulpit, but just to wait on tables. I mean, it seems like God had a high expectation of what we should be just to have the privilege to wait on tables, to take care of widows. Because in the midst of that serving and taking care of widows, God had some other things up His sleeves. If you look before long there, I think we'll just turn to Acts chapter 6 for a second here. It says in verse 2, the twelve summoned the multitude of disciples and said, Is it not desirable that we should leave the word of God to serve tables? Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, which we may appoint, excuse me, appoint over this business. But we could give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. This saying pleased them, so they chose Stephen and these others, full of man, full of faith and the Holy Spirit. And they named the others, and it goes, and they set them before the apostles, and when they had prayed, they laid hands on them. That's probably where they messed up. Because the next thing you see, then the word of, see, when they began to bring things into order, the word of God spread and multiplied. They had to make some adjustments along the way. The word of God spread and multiplied, and a great many priests were obedient to the faith. And Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and signs among the people. That's amazing. He was chose to wait on tables, and now signs, wonders, and miracles are taking place. Would the signs, wonders, and miracles have taken place if they just chose anybody that was doing whatever to wait on tables? See, God had a plan. When we start serving God, He starts coming with something from heaven. We got a heart. I mean, no matter what we're doing, no matter if we're teaching in a school, no matter if, if we're working at McDonald's, the Bible says, do it as unto the Lord. So we all should expect our qualifications, raise our qualifications, because God wants to do something inside of us wherever we're at. Waiting on tables, signs, wonders, and miracles were happening while he was waiting on tables. Woo! You know, that's why it says in Mark 16, those believe and are baptized, these signs shall follow them. They're going to cast out devils. They're going to heal the sick. So, God, you want these things. They make adjustments along the way. And I'm afraid that's what happens to some organizations. They get so big they can't make any adjustments. They can't change the way they're going. Or they refuse to, huh? That's the way we used to do it. That's the way we've always done it. That's the way we're going to continue to do it. And that's why you're going to die, too. We've got to listen to what God's doing. And it's, it's wonderful that the apostles along the way made adjustments. Because in the book of Acts, you really don't hear about them using elders. But later on in Titus, Timothy, and later on in the Bible, they talk about elders. They had to make adjustments to what God was doing. And we believe that God is doing a new thing. God is bringing a shift. We were just in, all, all of us and more were up in the Appalachian Mountains last weekend. And man, what prophetic words on shift taking place. We felt shift in things. Physical body shift. Spiritual shift. Shifts in the atmosphere taking place. And why? That place is ground zero for the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost was poured out there in 1896 in the Appalachian Mountains. Before Azusa Street, before Topeka, Kansas, the Holy Spirit was poured out there like ground zero. So we felt like there was something to be had there. Also, one of the ladies that oversees all that, her great-great-grandmother was a part of that outpouring. So she's a carrier generationally of what God did then. And there's a shift that took place and change beginning to take place. And I believe it's going to spread across our nation. It's also the home of the Cherokee people who were known as keepers of the fire, keepers of the flame. Woo! 
You know, the whole time they walked a trail of tears, they kept the fire burning. There was a fire burning during the whole trail of tears that was tried to be put out by many people but could never be put out. And so I believe that God is establishing from that meeting carriers that are carrying fire to other places. Uh, Places have to be open to receive what God has for us. I mean, our hearts have to be open. It's hard to receive. I mean, if Brother Terry tries to give me money and my hand's closed, can't receive it. If somebody comes up and gives you the keys to the new car and you close your hand, guess what? You're a dummy. <laughs> so we have to be ready, uh, willing to receive. And I, I believe God is doing shift and change here for the better. I mean, Apostle Angie who has begun to put in process shift and change. I want to read something in Titus. And we came last night. We had meetings with Apostle Angie, Pastor Tim. We had meetings with uh, Pastor Robert, Pastor Dana. And, I, and in the midst of that, you know, trying just to help work some things out, I believe in the midst of that, God gave me some revelation on stuff. Because I believe God's called me to be a, a global apostle. And somebody said last night, well, how did that happen? Well, because I've been all over this nation from the top of Barrow, Alaska, to the bottom of, in uh, Key West, Florida, doing this stuff. I believe it was part of the process for what God had come. And I haven't seen the fullness, the measure, the stature of what God wants to do. But I believe the process, we're just in the beginning. And I believe the house it was open because of the open heaven here and because people's hearts were open to, I mean, when you honor the, a prophet in the name of a prophet, you get a prophet's reward. When you honor the gift people are carrying, and we realize it's a gift. It's not something that man, in the wisdom of man, I didn't come up with what God showed me. It just came from heaven, I believe, to establish something. And that's what the work of apostles are, to establish something. Paul said in um, Romans 1, I believe, I long, I long to come to you that I may impart some spiritual gift that you may be established. And so to establish something. And the reason it's happened is the doors are open to receive, to let something be established. And so as, and then this morning, God was giving more. And it's, uh, when, when somebody opens that door, it helps me too. It didn't just... You may receive some. I'm receiving. God's helping me for what the future has. I believe God wants to create a model here for what the future has. It's not always easy being cheesy. So we're going to read in Titus for just a minute. This is not my normal revival sermonette. We're going deeper. So it says, Paul, a bondservant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledgement of the truth which accords with godliness, in hope of eternal life for which God, who cannot lie, promised before time began. But as in due time manifested his word through the preaching which was committed to me according to the commandment of God our Savior. You know, it's amazing in most of these books, Paul describes who he is, what what his title is, what his authority is, and what his purpose is. It seems like today a lot of people have trouble with anybody that's, that says why I'm here and what I'm doing. Somebody says I'm here as an apostle and this is my job and people get upset about it. But it's funny in the Bible clearly before Paul begins most letters he tells who I am, what I'm here for and who I'm sent from. To Titus, a true son in the common faith. Titus had traveled with Paul. Paul. Titus was a son. He is not just saying this. He was a son. Also in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 23, he, said, he calls Titus a messenger, one of the messengers. And that word messenger is apostolos. So Titus was also an apostle. He was being an apostle over Crete, where Paul was an apostle over regions. That makes sense. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. And he's telling him, Titus, for this reason I left you in Crete that you, may, you should set in order the things that are lacking 
and appoint elders in every city as I commanded you. So Crete's kind of a new church. Possibly Paul was there, but they don't have a lot of order. They're just operating as Christians. And it causes dysfunction when there's no order. Now, sometimes we think of order as, you know, this person, this person, this person. Everybody follows rules up and down like the military. But it's, it's not quite like that. It should be like a family order. And we have a lot of dysfunction in families because it don't seem we realize who the mother and father are. Everybody, we just want to be friends with our children. God didn't call us to be friends with our children. He called us to be parents to our children. He called us at times to, be, to bring discipline, at times to bring encouragement, at, and to set boundaries, to tell them, you're a boy and you're a girl. I mean, if somebody can't figure out that, the parents should be telling them. It shouldn't be the parents, oh, I'm going to wait six years and see if little Johnny can figure out what he is. Well, you're the parent. You need to tell little Johnny what he is. For this reason, I left you in Crete that you should set in order. So what he's saying, these churches are growing some, and there's, I mean, it's chaos. People don't know what they're doing. They don't know who's in, who's in charge of things. Somebody has to be the final responsibility. Somebody has to be the say-so. Somebody's going to stand before God and make an account one day. It's a serious thing. People take ministry lightly and leading a ministry lightly at times. But it's a serious thing because God says you're going to be accountable. The blood of those people is going to be on your hands. It's a very serious thing to stand behind a pulpit and minister to people because you're accountable for the words that you're saying. You're accountable for the actions that you're action, how you treat people, how you <clears throat> lead people, how you set the pace for what's going to take place. In too many churches, it's a political thing, almost like in our government or everything else. Vote for me to be a deacon. Vote for me. Vote for me to be the pastor. So I can have some position and I can have authority over people. You know, that comes with, the that comes with what God's doing. But realize, if you're monkeying around and playing games, you're going to stand before God one day and make an account. It's real. <clears throat> So for this reason, I left you there to set that stuff in order. I mean, he, he gives, after he says things are lacking, appoint elders, and then he gives the qualifications for elders. He's telling Timothy, I mean, Titus, when you're looking for elders, look for this. A man is blameless, husband of one wife, having faithful children. If he's accused of dissipation or in, not accused of dissipation or insubordination. So he gives it a, a point, uh, what the requirement, and then he says, for a bishop, bishop, elder, presbyter, all the same word in Greek. For a bishop must be blameless, a steward of God, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, but hospitable, a lover of what is good, sober-minded, just, holy, self-controlled, holding fast to the faithful word as he has been taught that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and convince, convict those who contradict. Looks like there's going to be some contradictions in the midst of it. For there are many insubordinate, both idle talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision. So there was trouble going on in the church. And he even says in verse 12, one of them, a prophet of their own. Here's what he called the Cretans. He said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. That's what his own, their own prophet called them. Liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. Now, Titus, I'm sending you to this community of wonderful people. Liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. And I want you to get them straightened out. Who wants that job? Does anybody know some Cretans? Woo. You're here to straighten them out. For this reason, I left you in Crete, that you may set it in order. Set it in order has some medical connotations, like a doctor setting a bone in order. A broken bone. Anybody have a broken bone before? Like an arm or a leg, something I mean, you know it's broke. In eighth grade, I got thrown off of a horse with a friend. Don't never get on horses. They don't know what they're going to do. And it broke this wrist. 
It wasn't much trouble telling it was broke because it was like out of joint two inches over here. That caused a lot of pain. It wasn't that this hand was not able to do something. I still had my hand there. The hand wasn't gone. It was still there. It just wasn't working. And it was in a lot of pain. Even though I still had my legs, my feet, my eyes, my, I had every other organ that could function perfect, perfectly, it couldn't function because there was so much pain in my wrist. I, I didn't want to go throw a football. I didn't want to eat nothing. I didn't, I, I didn't want to use this hand because this, this hand's holding this hand because it's hurting. I mean, everything I had was, was focused on pain. The problem was we didn't have a telephone back then, eighth grade. We had to sit and wait for about 30, 45 minutes for his dad to come home. And then they had to take me to a hospital somewhere. So by then it's swelling up and whoo, they put a cast on it. Got Oh, man. Several days of pain. Oh, pain. I'm in pain. Don't ever get on a horse again. And so it took a doctor to do what? They had to actually put me out to set it in place. So it could function again. It w everything was there to function. My fingers, my thumb, everything was there. But it couldn't function because it was out of place. So the church has a hard time functioning because it's out of place. Everything's there. The gifts are in the body. It's there. But a lot of times it's not set in place. It's not set in order so it can function. And, and when a church is not in order, it's in pain. When something's dysfunctional, there's pain going on. And there's, I mean, most of y'all know, I don't want to say, but Sister Angie has a greater calling, and there's pain because she hadn't been sure how to do this thing. And that's what we were talking about last night, and God just gave me something to set in order. That's our job, set things in order. And so what I believe God is asking, what God is wanting to do. You know, there was a time Jesus, with all the disciples were in the boat rowing in the midst of the storm. And Jesus comes walking by on the water. And it says he was going to walk on by, and they got his attention. Hey, hey, hey. It scared them at first. It's a ghost. But they got his attention to get him in the boat. I mean, I believe God gives us opportunities. Steve Hill used to say, you must seize the opportunity of a lifetime during the lifetime of the opportunity. There's a time a window's open and you have an opportunity to go through it before it's closed and God moves on to somewhere else doing what he wants to do. And so, you know, there was enough pain that, God, that the doctors put me under to be able to set that thing in place. And so I believe God wants to set things in order. And I believe what God really wants to do. What, there, there's been pressure from the enemy. There's been pressure to make moves to try to. Because Apostle Angie knew something's coming, coming. And knew something was supposed to happen. Just didn't know exactly how for it to happen. And she gave me permission to speak this stuff this morning. So, And then she left, so now she don't know what I'm saying. She's definitely praying. Because she carries the burden for this church. So I believe what God wants to see, God wants to see a full five-fold ministry functioning in this church. To set it in order. Now, just think in your mind, do you know any church within 100 miles that you could say they function as a five-fold ministry? I mean, most of the church don't even know what five-fold ministry is. You know, and some of this I'm talking about, it's like, well, I don't even know. Why, why do we care if there's apostles or prophets? Why do we want to set things? We just want the glory to come down. Well, why in the past, in the great revivals, have the revivals come and faded away? I believe because things were never set in order. If you're going to have, if you're going to, I mean, who wants the miracles of the book of Acts? We're not going to have it continuously without the governance that was in the book of Acts. 
the kingdom of heaven is on earth, but it must have earthly governors, not rulers, government. And that's what fivefold ministry is. It's the government of the kingdom of heaven on earth. And that's why the church has been so dysfunctional. I mean, we've, we've done the best we can, but really, you're just now beginning to hear about apostles in the church. That's how come we've not fulfilled our mission and mandate to bring heaven to earth, to bring the kingdom of God to earth. We talk about it, but we haven't been able to do that. What is the kingdom of God? Romans 14, 15, I believe. It's not meat or drink, but it's righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. We haven't been able to do that. The nature and character of a pastor is not generally confrontational. The nature and character of an apostle is confrontational. These are the men that are turning cities upside down. Part of that upside down was uh, upside down is talking about they were bringing the truth and the truth was turning things upside down. They're bringing the word of God in power. But we've convinced seminarians and cemeterians and have convinced the church that we're supposed to just be in a building, be quiet, be to ourselves, not have any effect in the community, not be involved in the government, not be involved in schools, not be involved in businesses, have no outside effect on anything that's going on. And I believe that's because it's been a, more of a pastoral mindset when the apostolic prophetic mindset is to contend for heaven. It's, the, it's, it's, it's nothing. We need pastors. My mentality is a pastor is the mash tent. Anybody seen mash on TV? Well, you know, you got the battle going on, and when people are wounded, they take them back to the mash unit, and they get doctored up and ready to go and sent back out into battle again. The apostles and prophets are generally the ones out in the leading the battle. But all we've had is mass tents, care centers set up around the world, the United States, care centers to care for all these wounded Christians, but we haven't taught them how to fight. It's evident in this epidemic we've had that Christians are not prepared to fight the good fight of faith. We all bowed our heads and put our mask on because we're, I mean, oh, the government. we got to obey the government. When righteousness rules, obey it. I mean, Peter and them are right off of the bat in the book of Acts. The Pharisees and said, don't you, Caesar, saying, don't preach in the name of Jesus anymore. You be good little boys. Go home. Shut up. They said, we got to do, we must testify what we've seen and heard. We, you can't shut us up. You can put us in jail, in prison, lock us up, cut our heads off, but we'll be testifying as the guillotine is falling. But so easily, I mean, We've just, because some government officials said, okay, church needs to shut up. Here's what you guys need to go. Go to social media. We have Facebook for you. We have all these wonderful things so you can socially distance yourself. You pastors can sit in your pulpits and talk to your people over social media. We got everybody happy sitting at home, laying in their pajamas, drinking their coffee, watching their pastor. And then they came on and said, but we got this one thing. Pastors, you can't say this anymore. You can't talk about this anymore. If you say this, we're going to censor you and take you off Facebook. I mean, that sound like a plan or what? We lured you in and got you all comfortable. And then we said, oh, nah, you can't do that stuff anymore. And so now you're sitting at home with no Facebook. And I mean, governors, uh, the strip joints open, the bars are open, everything. But uh, Walmart's open, Home Depot's open. But boy, the church is just not essential. The church is not even in the category for the government to decide whether we're essential or not essential. We're not even in that listing. We don't bow down to the government. Amen. But where's the war cry? Where's the war cry of these churches with 50,000 people, 35,000 people shut up and gone home? I mean, with that much influence, you have opportunity to change. But you couldn't change because you got so many people sitting in your church that don't know what righteousness is you got as many of the swamp in your church as you got two or three that's not of the swamp in your church. I can't preach that. Some of my members will leave. Well, they need to leave then. Amen. When that pastor of that large church in Virginia, West Virginia, no, Virginia, the, the president comes into his church and asks for prayer for a friend of his. 
And the pastor didn't even know what to pray or how to pray or what to do for him. Finally prayed for him, and then the next day he's got a video on YouTube apologizing for praying for the president. I realize I may have offended some people in our community because I prayed for the president. Well, you offended people because they got a warped mindset. You offended them because you hadn't preached to them and taught them what the truth is. Woo. I was going to stay off politics. but We're here to set things in order. And if the church don't get in order, how is the world going to get into order? We need our generals. We need those that are going to war. We need to let those do what they're called to do. You see, at the Brownsville Revival, which happened from 1995 to 2000, during that time there was a transformation of a church somewhat. Pastor Kilpatrick went from being pastor to, to me very clearly his calling and role was apostle. He was apostle over that movement. There was a teacher, uh, Michael Brown. There was evangelist Steve Hill who did most of the revival preaching. There was a prophetic psalmist, Lyndall Cooley. And uh, past, the pastor was um, what they call chaplain. And so they had the five-fold ministry. Nobody really called it that, but it was operating in the church. But Pastor Kilpatrick felt the call to go and father other churches that were in revival, but were going through stuff they didn't know how to handle. He felt the call to go out and help them sustain How do you, how do you um, steward this revival, this outpouring that God's doing in your church? But the denomination basically said, oh, we don't have a wineskin for that. If, uh, if you're the pastor, you should be sitting here going and visiting the sick, marrying those who are getting married, burying those who are dying, and you need to be here at this church. If you're not here at this church every Sunday, then you need to resign as pastor, cut off from this church, don't come back in this church, don't talk to nobody in this church, go find you a ministry somewhere else. That's been the mindset of previous denominations. How many ever been in a church when the pastoral search team came in? You're in your church, and here comes five people sitting down. Like, where'd they come from? Who are they? Somebody says, that's the search team. They're, search, they're looking at our pastor and see if they want to invite him to come to their church and, pre, and be the pastor. Can you imagine sending five people into somebody else's church to scout out their pastor? And then sometimes even having a meeting right after church. We want to meet with you, pastor. Oh, we like you. We like your preaching. Why don't you come to our church? Just leave. Divorce those people and come over to us. Is that dysfunctional or what? And now we're brokenhearted, tore apart. We have a pastor we love. He's married us, buried us, had uh, been there when our babies were dedicated. And now he's divorced us and moved on to greener pastors. Now we got Now we got to go find us another husband. Sound like dysfunction. So God, help us to set things in order. So God is telling Titus, set this in order. Put that thing, pop that bone back into place. Put the cast on it. It's going to take a little while. I went eight weeks with the cast on. Four weeks with the bent arm cast and four more weeks with the half cast. Uh, but it was on the right hand, which is my writing hand. I'm in school. Guess what? That wasn't a good school semester. I had to go back to the doctor, get that one cast cut off, get the other cast put on, then go back again, get that cast cut off, and then a little physical therapy to get the arm moving again. So it took a process of time to set things in order. So it'll take a process of time to set things in order, to bring, you know, this, I believe this is, God's wanting to do a model here. There's, where are you going to go and see how this is being done? So are you willing to be the one to say, here, God, start with us. Do it here, God. I mean, stuff being broken is not always easy. Sometimes it's painful. There's swelling involved. There's learning how to do things. I had to learn how to write with my left hand. I still can't write very good with my left. In fact, the only F I ever made in school was that semester. I couldn't write and keep up in class. So it was hard times. But what if I'd have left that thing popped out? I never would have got to ride my motorcycle again. Woo! 
I'd be able to, you know, once the pain and swelling went away, I'd be able to do a lot of stuff, but I wouldn't be able to function as I should function. But I had to go through eight weeks of getting things set in order, plus three or four more weeks to get the strength back to do what it needed to do. So God wants to set things in order. So I believe what God has showed, and, you know, Apostle Angie asked me to come and talk with them. And over time, we built a relationship. I mean, we should do things by relationship. We know who we know who we labor among each other. It's, you know, it's awesome to have the team come out to the Navajo Reservation two years ago. I mean, you learn more about each other when you're riding in the van for two hours every day, when you're sleeping in the same houses every day, eating the same food every day. Anybody's wanting to get married ought to go on a two-week mission trip together, not just together, but at least with each other on the same trip. And you'll see the good, the bad, and the ugly. Woo. And you'll, you'll know a lot more about that person after you spent six weeks every day. You know, the apostles knew a lot more about Jesus because they lived with him for three and a half years. He knew a lot more about them. Today, another dysfunction in ministry, I believe, is ministry who doesn't want to be, uh, doesn't want to attach to anybody and doesn't want anybody around their life outside of the pulpit. Jesus did life with people. There's books written about don't have friends with nobody in the church. That's sad. Don't have friends with nobody in your church because sooner or later they'll stab you in the back. They'll see that you're not a perfect person, and the enemy will use that to come in and start, uh, start speaking to you stuff. Well, look at them. They did that. Look at them. They did that. You know, the difference is, what is the heart? Is the heart striving to be like Jesus? Or are we indifferent to Jesus? We're just doing a job. Are we just hired people, or are we shepherds of people? With his hirelings? Are we here because God's called us to be here? Every one of us will not be perfect. Just ask my wife. And if, if we travel together enough and do things together, you'll find some things you disagree with. Miss Lori likes it hot. I like it cold. <laughs> turn it up. Turn it down. <laughs> what we learn, I mean, that, that's not worth having a fallout and dissolving a ministry over. Amen. Now, if people are sitting in the back of the van and they're cussing and telling dirty jokes, we got a problem. We're fixing to have a Holy Ghost hoedown. Somebody's got to go, either you or the devil in you. Some people don't want it to go as their best friend. So we have to learn to flow in those things, even though, and when man, what a privilege when somebody gives you access to their life. People don't, don't think that's very valuable. When somebody that's paid a price over 30 years of ministry gives you access into their life, we should count that as a privilege. I really never had somebody to mentor me. That's why I'm, I have people right now in the ministry that I work together with. We, if I'm doing something or speaking something, we talk about it that I ha take counsel from. But I wasn't really raised up with somebody that was, my, I would love to have had somebody to help show me the way into this thing so I wouldn't have to just find it out for myself. Along the way, I've made mistakes, yes. I got ahead of God, yes. Woo, you learn the hard way. But if somebody gives you access to their life, don't count that as a small thing. Value that. And like I tell people, the one thing I tell people, I don't do much counsel, but if you're getting married... Don't ever take somebody's side against your spouse. Somebody comes tell you your spouse, well, you know what they did, you know what they said. Here, I got something for you. Shut up. Because two years from now, guess what? You'll be gone. She'll still be there. So I'm not listening to you. Amen. You understand what I'm saying? Don't give. Don't give that open door. Don't side. Because when you come into agreement with that person, now you've opened the door for the enemy against your spouse 
Don't side with them. If they're speaking that stuff, run them off. Don't listen to them. Block their calls. I don't care how true they think they are. Well, I, I would say the same thing with your leaders, your elders, your pastor, your apostle. If they give you access to their life and somebody else comes telling you a bunch of junk, don't listen to it. God will honor you. Now, if you know they're in open sin, you know there's stuff wrong, your best, your best place is to quietly leave. Because you're really not in a place to bring rebuke. It's up to somebody, it's up to some other five-fold ministry to bring rebuke. But if you know things are out of place and out of balance and you just can't deal with it, don't go around gossiping and talking to everybody. Just shut your mouth and go. That's going to be best for you. God's able to take care. Eventually, he will take care of those that are in error. Can we go a little further? So you guys are the foundation for what's about to happen. Don't think it a light thing that there's not a church full of people in here. There's got to be a foundation to build on when other people come. You're the ones along the way that are going to guide. You may not be the teacher of that session, but they'll interact. They'll, there's people in here that they'll connect with you. You'll be their connection. You'll be their relationship. You'll be the one they go out and eat dinner with. And you're going to have to impart what's been imparted to you to them. Amen. So as we set this thing in place, uh, and the Lord said, uh, Paul said to Titus, appoint elders. And something I've, I mean, I've wrote a book about apostles. I've been studying about this, been traveling as one for quite a while. But I never really understood the role of an elder. I know they're biblical, they're in the Bible. But I think God just has to give us revelation on stuff. I never had the revelation on what the purpose, why elders, until this morning. <clears throat> because in, in, the, in the past, just speaking here, Apostle Andrew has appointed pastors at different times for her to go and be away and come back. But really, in the oversight of the church, let me read, and um, Peter spoke in First uh, Peter chapter 5, in verse 1, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder, see Peter's calling himself a fellow elder, and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, who will also share in the glory that be revealed, tend to the flock of God which is among you, exercising the oversight not under compulsion, but voluntarily, not for dishonest gain, but willingly. This could have been some of the elders that have been appointed along the way. Now the word oversight. So the elder had oversight. The work of that elder was to look upon, to inspect, to oversee, to look after, to care for. Of the care of the church which rested upon the elders. To look carefully and beware. So as I read this, the work of the elders were appointed over churches by apostles to have the care for, to watch over, to have oversight, to orchestrate what's happening in that local body so the apostles could do what they need to do. Because... I mean, there, there's a time of serving for a while, but there's a time in apostleship where God's causing you to open your wings up and begin to fly and do some other stuff. And so God, and see, as an elder, you can be a pastor. That gift of pastor. See, we, we say across the United States, the, the main leader of the church is the pastor. But a lot of times they're not actually pastors. We're just calling them pastor. A lot of times they're a teacher. A lot of times they're an evangelist. A lot of times they're a prophet. But we number all of them as pastors. I don't really think that's what the Bible says. They're elders. That, may, that elder may be, have the gift of a pastor. That elder may have the gift of a teacher. That elder may have a gift of evangelist. But as elder in the qualifications of elders, there's elders that are appointed to have the oversight of the daily working of the churches. To watch over, to be aware of, to see what's going on. To make sure things stay in order. 
That's what Paul was giving Titus. He said, I'm having you appoint these people in these churches. And elders were well able, not all of them, but he's telling those elders, the ones you find, to be able to teach. Teach what's right. Teach what's just. Teach what's good. Teach these people. Because you're having to change them from lazy gluttons and liars. So you're appointing men in these churches that have authority in that local church there. And whatever gift or function, God knows what we have need of at that time. So I think there's, there's elders here, but we've always tried to make the lead man as the pastor person. And they may function as a pastor, or they may not function as a pastor. But they need to function as an elder. That gift to beware, to watch over, to oversee, to see what's happening. And to have the responsibility... See, Apostle Angie is giving that responsibility to oversee and care for that flock. But she, she, you know, in the past it was, now I have to cut myself off and I have to go somewhere else and leave it alone. But that's not what God wants to do. He wants all fivefold of the ministry. See, Brother Tim is an elder. Apostle Angie is an elder. Peter said, I'm an elder also. But she functions as an apostle. Does this make any sense? So Apostle Angie has appointed Robert and Dana as pastor. But really, I believe part of the new shift is their elders. They function in a pastor teaching gift. But they're the elders to oversee the function of this church with Pastor Tim. And the elders work together. But then the apostle can come and go. With not having to worry every day, um, you know, pray for, have grace for the local church. God is expanding her ministry outside of this place. And as it does, guess what? It's going to bring benefits here. You know, when the Bible says give and it shall be given to you. It's not just talking about money. You know, a lot of people say, why should we go to a third world nation when we got lost people right here? Because when you go and give it away over there, God honors that by doing something here where you left from. God does things different than we. We got to win every lost soul in this city before we go anywhere. You know, as as as, as mothers and fathers that may have children that are lost and away from God, and you can't communicate with them. It's just not working. I believe. I believe a lot of times you sow into other young people. And God will turn around and touch your, your children because you sowed into those children. And, and the devil wants to keep you so occupied with this that you can't do nothing about. You can't turn them loose to where God, and you turn them loose and say, I'm gonna, if they won't receive it, I'm going to minister to these who will receive it. And as you're ministering to these, it's a wonder what God's doing over here, sending somebody else who's got children in despair, ministering to your child. that make any sense? Because God does things a little differently than we do things. But the enemy wants to get us focused on, I can't go, I'm not qualified, I can't go nowhere else until I get this straightened out. And you may spend the next 30 years and still not get it straightened out. And uh, If you have communication relationship, don't just leave them to go somewhere else. But if what you're doing is not working, minister where God gives you the opportunity to minister. Now, there's others, elders in this church also that have elders, eldership ministry over nursing homes, ministry outreach to pray in hospitals. That's their realm of authority. Amen. There's some that are evangelists. That's their realm of authority to walk in. What God wants us, what he wants us to see us do is to find our lane, our groove, and function in that. You know, the worst thing in the world is for a, a pastor to be stuck pastoring a church that's called to be a prophet or evangelist or uh, apostle, and they can't do it. They, they're, I mean, they're miserable. But they feel like this is the only occupation where I can make money, so I'm stuck here doing this. We've got a lot of men and women in positions because they don't, have, they don't know how to get things set in, excuse me, set in order and be in the place of function. Man, if we're in the place where function, we should be excited about what we're doing i was excited last night and this morning i mean usually and and god's god's changing things mostly i was a revivalist preacher and 
10 years ago. But now God's shifting things. I'm excited about what God's, I mean, there's a lot more that I'm not even ready to share here yet, but just from last night to this morning, because of an open door to receive the gift that I carry, because of an open heaven, because of the prayers that are going on, I mean, so much, there's a uh, synergy taking place because of the coming together of two. Woo! And I believe it's going to be a model for the future in other places. And see, Apostle Angie has that prayer and breakthrough anointing. Think, what if we add it and we've got somebody else over here. Church has a, a teacher training anointing or something. And somebody over here has that fire and Holy Ghost anointing. And we, there's a synergy even in the spirit realm. Even if they're not here, there's a synergy when we're connected together that all that's going to begin to flow together. Y'all will be excited as you see things begin to happen. Amen. So, I, so we're going to, we're setting the bone in place. We're putting a cast on it. Amen. We're going to nourish the bone and the cast and the pain's going to leave. The swelling's going to go down. Things are going to get better. We're going to cut the big cast off, put a small cast on. <laughs> and there's going to be more movement come. Then we're going to cut that cast off, and more is still going to be need some physical therapy, but some more movement's going to come, and eventually that thing's going to operate as it should operate. Woo! Then the full functioning of the body of Christ is going to operate. Because, see, it's our responsibility to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. That's our responsibility. God said in Ephesians 4, I gave some apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers to equip the saints. And pretty much whatever you're setting under or you're submitted to, you reflect what you see and hear. If you have the same person speak for 10 years, you're going to become flowing in what they flow in. If you have a pastor of a church, you're going to be pastoral. You're going to want to care for those that are sick or wounded or counsel or minister to and make sure they're okay and make sure they're fed and happy and everything else. And that's what you're going to be. And see, that's what's happened in the church. We have pastoral churches, evangelistic churches, prophetic churches, but we don't have many churches that have all five in the same place. Because if, if you're seeing each different gift operate, you're reflecting that gift, you're reflecting the apostolic, the prophetic, the evangelistic, the pastoral, the teacher. You're becoming every one of them. Now you're being fully equipped to the fullness, the measure, the stature of Christ. So that when you go out in the field, when you're at home, if you need to be a prophet, you're prophetic. If you need to be evangelistic, you're evangelistic. If you need to be a teacher at that time, you're a teacher. If you need to be a pastor, you're pastoral, counseling. If you need to be breakthrough warfare, we're going to war apostolic, you're apostolic. So you have a greater, you're more of a general practitioner where the five-fold ministry has a specific. Where, I mean, each one of us are geared for one. People that say they're five-fold ministry, I'm not sure about. I don't. Because if we had all five-fold, well, I walk in all five-fold. I'm all five-fold, all the gifts, everything. Then you don't need nobody else. God wants us to need other people. Amen. To have, if I have everything, then I don't need you and your ministry gifts to do anything. Because I can do it all. But then that puts a lot of pressure on me to do everything. Pretty soon, I'm dysfunctional because I'm wiped out. So this is going to evolve. It's going to grow. And uh, we're going to see what happens. In six months, if it's no good, you can go back to normal. Not, no going back. Amen. No going back. No going back. Amen. Bill Johnson took his father's church and there were a thousand people in there. And that morning, it looked like one person got touched by the Holy Ghost. He told his wife, he said, he's here. Just one person. If just one person, God's here. So allow your apostle to begin to function as her calling. But allow your elders to begin to function in their calling. Ooh, and see what God's going to do. It's going to be good.
I mean, people are motivated when they're walking in their calling. There's an excitement. And it's, it's going to bring an excitement to the body of Christ. And it's going to open the wells of heaven. You know, if, when, when we get things in order, God will get things in order. I believe God will honor our efforts to be pleasing to him and to walk. And, you know, we're growing in this thing. Just like the apostles grew into, through the book of Acts, they grew into how they had to deal with things. And so the church today is growing. I believe you're going to see more and more across the land churches functioning in fivefold ministry. And that all the gifts will be ministering to you so that you can flow in all the gifts. That's the purpose of it. To equip the saints for the work of the ministry so that you can fully flow in apostolic, prophetic, evangelistic, pastoral, teaching. Woo! You get to do it all. And I believe it's going to happen. The Bible says he, he gave those five a mandate till they come to the fullness, fullness, the measure, the stature of Christ. Till they're fully equipped. They have everything they have need of. One, part of those words is a ship sailing. It has all the, the people, the, ro- the oars, the food, the, everything it had need of was in that ship to accomplish its mission. Till you have everything you have need of to accomplish the mission God's called you for. That's our responsibility, and um, we take it seriously. We want to see you. We want to see you in the joy of the Lord doing what God's called you to do. That man, you're, you know, we don't get out of bed and say, oh, my gosh. No, the saddest thing for a pastor is to get out of bed. And that, one, <laughs> that, that one man, his mother, telling his mother, I don't want to go to church today. Well, you have to. I don't, I don't feel like it. I don't, I don't like those people there. I'm not going to church. You've got to go to church today, son. Well, I'm not going to church today. She said, well, you're the pastor. You have to. But it's obvious he, he, he may have been an evangelist. He wasn't flowing in his calling that God's given us grace for. Woo. My calling is not to, not to counsel people. I do not have grace for that. My counsel is get to the altar, get on fire for God. It'll be okay. So if you need counseling, you probably don't want to call me. But there's other people that they've got a gift and a grace. They'll listen to you all day long. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus, for those people. (laughs) So we say, thank you, Jesus, for the shift and the change that you're bringing to us, God. Thank you, Jesus. You count us, uh, you know, worthy, God. You've counted us diligent, man. Apostle Angie and the leaders here, the elders here have been diligent, pressing in, praying, going after heaven. God, I I believe you're a rewarder of those who diligently seek after you. You're a rewarder, God. And God, you don't have to have hundreds of thousands of people or whatever. You're just looking for some people that will be obedient to you and and fulfill your word as much as they know how and are able to, God. People that want to be upright, holy before you, Lord. Righteous, your joy and your peace and your goodness and your mercy. God, I thank you for what you are going to do in this house, God. God's lifting your, I mean, it's, things are fixing to expand. They're expanding. Whoo. See, as, as Apostle Angie goes up, that makes others step in and go up to fulfill the place that she had. And as they step up, that requires others to step up to fulfill the place they had. And as... You know, the, the only way to really f- fully fulfill the work in your life is have experience. You know, we can talk about and train stuff all day long, but if we don't go out and ever do it, you never have experience in it. So God's asking some people to step up. Pastor Tim needs to step up now, so somebody needs to step up and mow the grass. I mean, it's like, oh, no, the curse of the grass. But we haven't, you know, well, I really, I really just want to sing in the choir. You might have got laid off if you wanted Jesus' disciples. He said, you know, we only got about 10,000 people out there. You break them up into 5,000, and we're going to feed all of them. Do what? I'm here to be with the Messiah. I'm here to sit on his right and his left hand. I'm here because, whoo, look at me. I found Jesus, and I'm not here to feed 5,000 people. There's work in the ministry. Take joy. Because as you fulfill that spot, it allows Pastor Tim or whoever to fulfill the calling God's doing in their life. And then eventually God will raise somebody up to mow the grass 
And you can move up to fulfill the things God has in your life. Man, you're, you're making a way for somebody else to fulfill. Man, I don't want to watch those little kids. You're making a way for somebody else to fulfill. It's amazing when you step up and serve that God will minister to you. Or the, hallelujah. So, Lord God, you begin. Just a minute, we're going we're gonna to ask people to come up. We're going to pray over them. And you're saying, like Isaiah said, here I am, Lord, use me. You know, when, when we start in service of the Lord, we begin to forget about all of our problems and concentrate on what God has us to do. And then God starts taking care of our problems. Don't allow the enemy to make you focus on your problems all the time. You'll never fix them all by yourself. Give God an opportunity. You begin to do some of his work and he'll do your work. Thank you again for tuning in with us. If this word ministered to you, please consider sowing a seed to Freedom Ministries at freedomministriescrossit.com. We have made it available to you on the giving page. Thank you again. Go and be blessed in Jesus' name.